this rhetoric coming across from some portions of the Christian church, from some political movements that are advocating on behalf of the Christian church, that that's somehow our imperative, that we have to fight for our rights. We have to stand up for what we believe. We have some moral imperative to do that as Christians. And I understand some of those reasons, but I would respectfully disagree that that's everybody's responsibility to do that. I think there's a place for voting. I think there's a place for lobbying in a healthy way. I think some of what we would call lobbying doesn't always get the result that we'd hope. I even think there might be times when it's okay to even oppose, but I would say it comes back to motives. If we start looking down at others because they don't fight the way we think they should fight, then we're running the risk of falling into that Pharisee ground, regardless of whether we're right, left, or in the middle. I think when we end up believing everybody should be responding the way we are, and not giving people an opportunity to think these matters through for themselves as if to say, well, I've had my say, that's the end of it. No one else has a perspective worth anything. That's very Pharisee. All right, guys, welcome back to Christians in Culture. We're on episode 14. Uh, this is We're going to be summing up this season. Um, it's been an amazing time. We've, we've had some pretty deep conversations tackled some pretty deep issues and I think we've actually shed some light on some stuff that um, I hope people have found useful. For some people listen, listening, they may feel more fired up than ever before to kind of take these issues and go and scream them from the rooftops. But I think we're going to try and bring a different heart towards things. It's great to, to be passionate, but it's also really important um, that we have a moderate voice, that we we aren't screaming from the rooftops and that we are using the moral authority that we've built up in people's lives in order to um, influence people that know that we love them. Pastor Ron, what would you say to Christians who are motivated and believe that fighting for the social morality issues from a political perspective is the moral imperative of all believers? What do you think about that? Well, hey everyone, thanks for joining us for this uh penultimate, that's a big word, penultimate episode of season one. This will be the last one before we kind of do an addendum where we're talking about singleness. But uh, on that question, Adam, I, I totally think that people have their right to have their opinions. I think everyone has been given free will by their creator. Um, so everybody has a right to speak their, their mind. Um, and I know that there'll be people who will feel more fired up to speak about uh, social issues, moral issues, political issues. Um, maybe maybe there'll be people who disagree with the content of our podcast or the way we've put it across and would uh, and would feel more fired up to to have a stronger stance maybe than they did before. And they're entitled to that. But um, I, I personally would respectfully disagree. While I say it's okay for people to have that perspective, I, I would personally disagree. I think it's important uh, for every Christian to... Uh, to be able to form it, formulate their own perspective about what it means when it comes to their levels of morality, their Christian morality. Every Christian doesn't need to fight every issue politically. Mm. Uh, I think there's a lot of pressure on the Christian church in our nation, in Australia. This, it, there's this rhetoric coming across from some portions of the Christian church, from some portions of 
um, political movements that that are advocating on behalf of the Christian church that that's our somehow our imperative that we have to fight for our rights we have to stand up for what we believe we have some moral imperative to do that by uh, as Christians and I understand some of those reasons but I I think that I would respectfully disagree that that's everybody's responsibility to do that I think there's a place for voting I think there's a place for lobbying um, in a healthy way I think some of what we would call lobbying doesn't always get the result that we'd hope that there would be. I even think there might be at times when it's okay to even oppose perspectives. But I would say it comes back to motives. Mm. Uh, I think if we start looking down at others because they don't fight the way we think they should fight, then we're running the risk of falling into that Pharisee ground. Regardless of whether we're right, left, or in the middle, uh, I think when we end up believing everybody should be responding the way we are and not giving people an opportunity to think these matters through for themselves as if to say, well, I've had my say, that's the end of it. No one else has a perspective worth anything. That's very pharisaical. And so I would respectfully disagree with that. I think it's it's okay uh, to make sure that you have your own opinion and, and then try to encourage people to try and put it across in a way that makes people feel loved uh, as best as you can. Make sure your own motive is love and then do what you can to make sure that as many people as possible perceive it in love mm. yep. yeah I've been reading a book that uh, studies in the Sermon on the Mount by D. Oh, sorry Martin Lloyd-Jones you have been reading that book for a long time it is crushing me it's one of those books where I read a page and I sit for about half an hour thinking about what I just read um, but what I what I'm taking away from it is just the the breakdown of being the salt of the earth mm. And, and the primary purpose that humans use salt for is to preserve. Mm, yep. Um, and it's, the, it's not that salt has any kind of act, active ingredient. It's just itself. It's, it is, its mere presence preserves whatever it's in. Um, and Lloyd-Jones talks about how, like, the kind of the Declaration of Independence and how a lot of that, um, and the Constitution of America, a lot of those signatures that appear on there are of Christian men. Mm. And they didn't get together as a Christian organisation, but they were just Christian men being Christians in the sphere of influence that they were in. And that very salt of the mm. earth preserved. And um, I We think should add too, just for those that don't want to argue with what you're saying, there are a number of, uh, one of the... One of the preconceptions that Christians will often bring is that all the founding fathers were Christian. That's not true. Not there were actually, just so you don't write into us, there were actually people who weren't Christian but would have upheld what we would consider a Judeo-Christian ethic. Yeah, that's exactly mm. right. Yeah. However, there were, there were Christians, Christians as, well. yes, there as were. we've been de um, describing them as disciples of Christ who, who had a daily walk with Jesus and in their daily walk with Jesus, they mm. made decisions based on um, what they feel he would have them do in their life so I, I encourage us as christians to be the salt of the earth in the environment that we find ourselves in yeah. mm. so jimmy we've talked about others who might get all fired up of, mm. you know in their cause but there's others that'll just feel like this is completely overwhelming yeah. so what would you say to people that are finding it overwhelming um i'd say that just to be know that it's okay to to feel that sense of overwhelm that this stuff is really big and not being sure where to go 
but not to just stay there because I think that too often that uh, when something seems too big or too overwhelming, we just want to just sort of sit and go, I'm just not going to deal with it. Um, we don't want to sit in that situation. It's okay to feel that and acknowledge it, but you don't want to sit in that for too long. What you want to do is to go away and really push into the issues that seem to be um, maybe tweak something inside you, feel a prompting that you really, why is this why does this why is this topic affecting me so much why is it sitting so heavy on me uh, and push into that a little bit mm, it could thought. be because that god's prompting you to actually do something about it it yeah, might be him he might be stirring something inside you to go out and have action towards uh, so don't just ignore because sometimes when we think, okay, something's too big and overwhelming, that we might think, okay, this is something that's not of God and it's something that's just coming against me, so I'm just going to push against. But what we actually need to sometimes do is actually to bring it near and to find out what it actually is and then go, okay, God, what do you want me to do with this? Do you want me to actually action something out of this? Uh, and then go out the other side and go, and okay, God, what is it you want me to do? For some things it might be, just to know a little bit more about the subject and to just to push in a little bit more like that, like we've talked about before, to actually have knowledge about some of these things and know where we stand. But for others, it might be a, a call to action to actually go out and speak into this, whether it's just to have this knowledge to be able to then have conversations with people or it might be to actually in, get involved with groups that are doing things about it. Uh, and and there's many different ways where sometimes it can be uh, very action orientated, but there might be some that it might be just more information orientated. It might be just that your whole prayer life for a, a period of time might be just devoted to particular topics, uh, to particular issues that are going on. Um, but I just yeah, not just to I would encourage not to just let it overwhelm you overwhelm you to the point where you just stick your head in the sand and just ignore yeah, everything thoughts. that's going on, but to actually just to lean into that, knowing that God has you in that, uh, and then just to try and understand those a little bit more and find out what God's wanting to do with you during mm. that through that. Good That's thoughts. Awesome. A couple of thoughts that come out of that. One is this is sort of a direction that we're heading in our church uh, in recent weeks. It's largely come out of our previous series one and and this and this podcast, which is what you're alluding to, Jimmy. And that is that I think we've talked a lot about bringing our job as Christians is bringing. The kingdom of heaven to earth and uh, and recognizing that god will stir your hearts about certain mm. injustices or certain things that aren't the way that they should be mm. and so you're what you, you're picking up on that and you're saying hey let, when that happens allow it to happen yeah. uh, and don't don't be reactive mm. uh, don't don't launch out of fear yeah. don't launch out of anger towards the injustice or the people bringing mm. the injustice per se, mm. uh, but recognize that maybe God's calling you to begin to work on it. I posted something on one of our leaders, on our leaders' Facebook page, I think, a uh, fantastic podcast just this week of uh, a, a girl in, a lady in America started a movement called Dress Ember, and in this movement she felt motivated to do something, it was 10 years ago or something, about, uh, about human trafficking, and she would wear a dress in December every day of the year, and uh, throughout that, that has expanded, and it's raised over $7.5 million, which has gone to various different charities. What I love about that is that's, that's somebody who saw an injustice, allowed the injustice to tweak their heart, not from a perspective of fear or defeatist mentality, but from a genuine, what can I do? 
to rectify this? What can I do to be the change that I want to see in the world? And I love that. And I think that I would encourage every Christian to do that. How do I find a way to be the change rather than just add to the problem or just be a voice against the problem? Mm. I think take the, taking the time to... To hear the heart of God is a great point. I, I think this problem is what I'm what I'm picking up a lot in the Christian church is fear. I'm picking up that like oh it's, the things are so bad. This is fearful, and and we lose sight of the fact that I think God is on His throne and 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 all things still work together for good. Yeah. I think that uh, we're moving in the direction where we're moving towards a reawakening in the church. And the reason is, as we've said this multiple times in our series, as this is a sum up one, so I'm not surprised we're revisiting it, is that uh, that the world is starting to wake up to the fact that their worldview isn't working that well. And if we could move from a place of fear and a, a place of doubt and a place of resentment to look to the God of hope, then I, I believe that this is a season when rather than seeing the problems as all too big, we might be able to see that God has positioned us strategically to bring light into a dark place. Yeah. Mm, so good, man. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I would say in relation to a cause... If you start to feel your, your something stirring or you start to feel an anger about something, you just take just a little moment and say, God, what is your heart for this issue? Because when you go to God for his heart for the issue, I think you'll find that you, you will respond the right way. Usually you will respond out of love and out of a, a, a longing for justice as opposed for an anger and a, and a wanting to... to um, meet out wrath against people. Good point. Pastor Rowan, what would you say to those that think there's not really even a problem, that um, the world's overreacting or <laughs> Christians are overreacting? or Well, yep. I respectfully disagree with those that uh, were of the opinion that they should fight on every issue and make the loudest noise and so on. Oh, well, I would, uh, at the other end of the spectrum, I would respectfully disagree with people and hopefully respectfully because I really do genuinely appreciate the fact that people can have a different opinion to me. Uh, but I personally believe that to say that the world is overreacting, uh, that the Christian church is overreacting to our society is, is unwise. Uh, I think we've been like a frog in the pot of water for too long. We're unaware that the environment is changing around us and uh, we're now starting to wake up to that. And uh, there's no doubt that the world is changing around us. And I think it's important that the church recognise that. And a lot of the rhetoric around the, the hyper-conservative stuff we're seeing is that the church is now woken up to it, but it's quite late. And, and so they're making thinking that the way to, to fix this is to rant and rave. Uh, at the other end of the spectrum, I think if we, if we just assume that everything is faulty, we're killing ourselves as well, because clearly our society is moving away from what we would regard as a Judeo-Christian moral ethic. Mm. We've talked about the fact that maybe that doesn't necessarily mean the number of Christians is lower, but the, the moral ethic is, is separate to the, the proportion of Christians. We talked about that in an earlier episode. Uh, I think that we, the problem is that we're still trying to do church and ministry and mission work the same ways we've always done. So for those that think, oh, there's, there's no reason to even worry about this, let's just get on with the job of building the church. The problem is what worked once upon a time isn't necessarily going to work anymore. The style of church, the, the, the way we engage with the public, all of those things that maybe were effective in their day are now potentially antiquated. If we're just hanging on to those things, then we're going to end up losing some uh, losing some effectiveness. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that we should be defeatist. I'm not saying that we should lack a faith perspective. Like I said in the moment, I, a minute moment ago, I'm, I'm hopeful. Quite the opposite, in fact. I actually do believe that 
if we can recognize that we've moved, our society has moved away, then we're in a good place. Uh, I believe that acknowledging that will help us to be more effective. History's shown repeatedly that when renewal comes, it often comes to uh, when society's efforts to find meaning apart from God fail. And I think we're in a season where we've where that's happened. Society has been trying to find fulfillment apart from Christianity, apart from the message of Christ. Yep. And it's starting to wake up to the fact that's not working. Mm. So I would say let's be excited about that. Yeah. I think our society is in the early stages of recognizing that mm. and that the that secular utopian dream that we talked about, uh, apart from God, is not resu- is not yielding those results. People aren't happy. Yep. Society is, people are lonely. Mm. De- depression is high. Mm. Suicide is high. The tide may have gone out, but it can only go out so far. Yeah. And I just want to jump on the back of what um, Rowan was saying there about just doing the same things because that's what we've always done um, and that's where we're comfortable uh, isn't a great thing. But if you really assess so that the heart of the church is to really be embracing um, the the changing culture and the way that Christianity is perceived and the the, ch- the way that we reach out and the opportunities will be different. And if you still come back to the point that what we're currently doing is still going to meet that, that's not a bad thing as well. It's not saying that we've got to throw everything no. out and start again. It's just evaluation. It's just it? a, yeah, being open to evaluate what you're doing and then go, okay, 90% of what we're doing is still great. We've just got to address this 10%. And if you're in that position, your church is in a really healthy state and you've got a real great opportunity to go out and do stuff. But you might look at what you're doing and go, yeah, f- 50% of what we're doing is okay. Um, our service might be okay. But apart from that, like, because it's really engaging, but maybe we're not uh, engaging in community enough or maybe we're not uh, the way that we are then equipping the people maybe the discipleship within the church our small groups or connect groups are maybe not being effective enough for people to be open to sharing their feel as though they're not really getting that opportunity and to grow in that way to be able to do that there's so many things but we just need to make sure that we are evaluating what we're doing i think that's what the heart of what ron was trying to get at is that we need to make sure that we're open to the evaluation and the uh, and the prompting of the holy spirit to be able to go okay where do we need to address where do we need to change or just having that open heart we're really happy to change and do whatever we you know we know what our preferences are but we want to make sure that we're doing what it is that god wants us to be doing it's awesome jimmy very good yeah it's it's a thing for me being a creative director a team leader here i've spent the whole day here getting this space ready to worship in but I also live in that dichotomy where it's not about this space, mm. it's about people. Yeah. Our whole job is about people. The kingdom of God is about people. Jesus was yep. all about people. Mm. He, yeah, he went to the temple, mm. but he was always a visitor there. He was yeah. always, he was, it was never his temple. Mm. Um, he even though it was his temple, well, he was still about the people. That's yep. right. And, and he, was, he even said, you guys are going to raise this temple. Oh, it's mm. going to be destroyed. Mm. You know, and... Yeah, I'm thinking a lot about the kingdom of God of late and, you know, what Pastor Rowan was just talking about, you know, with people being depressed and suicidal and looking to all of these things to to fill them. Um, I I read the Beatitudes and when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
it, it tells me, you know, poor in spirit means when you've come to the end of yourself and you, you realize that you can't do it, you can't save yourself, mm. that's where you find the blessing. Wow. Mm. Because mm. that's where Christ meets you. Mm. And that's where you start to say thank you for his righteousness. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's awesome. Great thoughts. Mm. Mark the brain sayers, he talks about <laughs> uh, the parallel between the Garden of Eden and the secular post-Christian worldview narrative that is invading our world today. Can you elaborate and, and comment on that? Yeah. Well, this was, this was a real eye-opener to me when I heard this in, in uh, Mark Sayers' podcast, uh, this cultural moment. We've re- recommended that a few times. Uh, and this, this concept of how our world is still trying to find fulfilment in the garden narrative, the f- true fulfilment, the Eden-like living, is found in uh, in, in honouring God, in, in abiding by God's way, in fulfilling God's purpose for humanity, which is to uh, rule the earth and represent Him and bring heaven to earth. That's where that's what the garden narrative was all about. Of course, we know that it tells us the story that humanity chose to do it a different way. We would, we chose to define what's right and wrong. We defi- we chose to define what what would make us happy. What would actualize us as human beings what and and in the process of that we have redefined the narrative so here's here's how he says it he says instead of the self-realization instead of the true humanity being found in god it's found in pleasure in happiness and the easy life so when i have as much pleasure when i get what i want when i want sleep with who I want, spend how I want, then I will have arrived. That's when true fulfillment, that's when me as the individual. Now you realize as soon as you say that, that that's, that's the narrative of our society. Mm. That's what our culture is telling us. And in that narrative, if that is the Eden that we're going for, then anything that prevents that from happening, Mark says, is actually going to be seen as the fall. It's going to be seen as bad, even though the fall actually came from failing to do it God's way. So if we come at life with the perspective of, well, as long as I can get all the things I want when I want, then I'll be happy. Therefore, anything that doesn't give me that is seen as bad. So we then refine we redefine sinful behavior as anything that gets in the way of our happiness so having to do stuff i have to work not having enough money morality that seems to impose limits on my freedom ultimately anything that is difficult or uncomfortable can get in the way of my happiness and therefore anything that gets in the way of my happiness is bad Mm. and we we are seeing society sending that message you look after you, you do you, mm. and anything that gets in the way of that, I can do what I want, I can sleep with what I, who I want to, I can love who I want, I can spend money on what I want, what I want, what I want. It's all about me rather than about mm. how I can add value. Mm. Our entire consumeristic Western capital, cap, capitalist culture, that's a mouthful, our entire consumeristic Western capitalist culture is based on this. Mm. If they can make us feel unhappy and provide us with stuff that we can spend our money on to make us feel happy, mm then that's how our society will run. So a breakdown in this would have economic uh, ramifications as well. And in, let's, let's take the analogy a bit, a bit further, Mark Sayers does. He says, in this distorted narrative, redemption then is redefined as finding purpose or meaning in your own comfort. So if anything's going to take away my comfort, then I need to find, I need to get my own comfort. I need to have my needs met. But Jesus comes in with an upside-down kingdom which restores the original. And he says, hey, if you really, really want to find your own life, mm. you've got to give up your own life. Yeah. But, but the world says, well, 
that holiday, that affair, that makes you feel good. That money you spend on whatever you want, that makes you feel good. That's how you'll be redeemed. That's how you'll have arrived. Mm. Completely the wrong mentality. It's upside down to the way the kingdom of God works. Mm. It's a problem because we Christians have bought into this lie. It's, it's infiltrated the church. It's infiltrated large portions of the Western evangelical church. Mm. And it's not that we've set out to do it, but we're unaware that this message is infiltrating the church. And so we end up with uh, our faith being centered around mm. what he can do for us. Yeah. How can God make me happy? Mm. How can I find fulfillment? Well, God is the divine vending machine in the sky. Mm. And if I put the right faith mm. in the place, I do the right stuff, he will make me happy. Mm. But we said, right, true, true mm. fulfillment is found in dying to self and finding mm. our identity in Christ, not mm. in ourselves and our comfort. And, mm. you know, Adam, you've mm. talked about the Sermon on the Mount. It's the blueprint. Yeah. I've done this yeah. a lot. Like it is the blue blueprint for what the kingdom life looks like. If you, yeah. it's it takes you ten minutes to read the Sermon on the Mount. It mm. will take us a lifetime to master it because it yeah. is it is upside down. Jimmy, yeah. what do you want to add there? Uh, all I was going to say was because I think you put it really well. But there was just one point which just stuck in my mind, and the thing that most non Christians say about the church over my lifetime so far has always been about money. Uh, and the way that money is portrayed in the church. And I think that's where the prosperity gospel that can pervade the Western church uh, has, um, I suppose, perpetuated this idea that, you know, you give more, you're going to get more sort of thing, um, which then takes away... It's, it's come in so much that even when churches are healthily talking about the way that we should look at our possessions and our finances that it is corrupted because of that that it makes it hard for us to really be able to talk about it in a healthy way mm. without it uh, without us having to sort of second guess the way we're talking about it um, whether it's from from a stage or with people you have to sort of you know validate what you're saying and oh this is not what I mean and because it, it, it's one of the things I find the hardest is because I truly believe that a lot of the time is that churches speak about money in such a healthy way, but because it, it challenges the way that culture talks about it, that it's going to be talked about with suspicion because the, it's not about, you know, save really. It, because it, they don't talk about when we're saying, oh, you've got to be wise with your finances, not when we're talking about, okay, so you've got to save well. The way you spend it, it's got to be in a right way the way that you can bless other people with your money, like that's not what gets focused on. It gets focused on in the worldly thing of, but then you're then talking about tithing. Then everyone just jumps on straight onto the tithing about, oh, but, you know, churches are, churches just you know, just want your money. That yep. You know, you're giving 10% of your wages to the, to the church. Like, you know, how naive and stupid is that? Because then all they're doing is they're, then they're not getting taxed and all this, all the other sort of stuff. And you're just like, well, but when you talk about it as that, I want to live in a way that where I look at my money and then with my wife Erin we we you know we keep going over our budget and making sure that the way that we're spending our money is doing it in a wise way and the more that we focus on money in a healthy way the better we've actually been with our money and then it's actually been bought us pleasure in that way that wow. we're actually better at that than before when we just sort of 
yeah, okay, we, we had our money going to the church, but then the rest of it, we sort of had some sort of idea about where all our money went. And then, but then it just created stress because we weren't intentionally trying to focus on it in a healthy way. Mm. Uh, and I think that just the way that the church, like that's just one topic that, yeah. Yeah. but that this pervaded a lot of the conversations I've had with people. It always yeah. ends up like money seems to be a big thing that people talk about. Yeah, mm. it's it's the difference between just saying tithe because you need to tithe yep. or teaching people how to be stewards of everything that they're given. Yeah, and because it, it's not just about money. That's right. Yep. It's about everything. It's yep. about your efforts. It's about your time. It's about your prayer life. It's yep. all of that stuff. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Yep. And that's not just It's like money. my bottom line. The issue of money is not a money issue. No, that's it's a right. Issue. And in relation yep. to that, as far as the, the prosperity gospel thing... I don't see the world having an issue with that. I see the church having an issue with that. It's other Christians that attack the prosperity gospel more than the, the world. I think the world has the biggest problem with the Vatican. That's the prevailing argument that I hear all the time right. is the Vatican this and they have right. more money than anyone. Yeah. Else, you know, all about the money. And, you know, I think there's a real war there that we're, we're fighting because the, the biggest idol in the world is probably oh, money. money jesus said he, he put it mammon mammon and god you can't serve ma- money and god yeah that's so he right. recognizes that it vies for our the position of prominence in our heart that's mm. exactly yeah, it. totally yeah. and it plays out in all these areas so when that message comes across we have to be looking and going are we buying into this automatically you know the secular uh worldview is sneaking into the church now i'm not mm. saying that we shouldn't we should all be poor i'm not saying yeah. that not we're not saying that but we're s- what we're saying is making sure that God has first place mm. and yeah. being aware that the divine vending machine in the sky concept is is very prevalent without us even realizing yeah. it. Yeah. And even, like I will always come back to this idea of moral authority. There's people in our world that are our friends. They will see a generous spirit. Yes, that's and, right. And, and that will speak volumes in relation to why we give our money yep. Yep. to the church. It's because we love our God. Yep. It's not because of any other reason. And um, we, wanna, we want that money to be fruitful and to multiply. And For sure. I love that idea of the seed. And, you've, you, you know, there's a seed in the hand. There's... there's soil to be sown mm. we have control over where that mm. seed goes whether it goes in the soil or it goes back in our pocket it's all up to us mm. god is the one that multiplies yeah for sure that's awesome i think we've done that next question if you want to we've already sort of touched on that yeah you can skip ahead pastor ron what is your summary on on how you think individual christians should be expressing our views or their views and perspectives in the world around us okay Pastor Rowan's number one tip, be careful with social media. Yep. Uh, we've talked about this repeatedly. Yeah. Uh, some people aren't listening to social media, aren't on social media, but they're probably not listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Most of you who are listening to this podcast are probably active on social media. There may be the exceptions to the rule. But I would say I just think more than anything else for individual Christians, just putting statements out there, even if they're correct, mm. uh, is not having the effect that you probably think would like it to have yeah. uh, I think that stands out I think just we've talked about this just the simple point and share share and click it without any comment I mean I remember you guys saying in a previous episode taking the time to craft your own response and making sure that uh, you know you could have given an explanation as to why you wanted to share something is a good way to do that I just think that that, that it's it's undermining mm. 
more, perhaps more than anything else, it has a lot of positives for it. It's it's been a cha- it's been a agent for change in oppressive cultures around the world, and you know rallying voice and, and all that. I get all that, and I know why governments in some nations are, are censoring it because of that. Mm. I think it is an agent for change, but I do but I do also think that it can be an agent for and is an agent for separation, and that's because we aren't using it wisely. Mm. I think you need to remember that you're also fighting an algorithm. Yes. You might you, you might be preaching to the converted because all your friends on social media are Christians. They all agree with you. And so it's kind of not really having the effect that you want it to. Yeah, true. You want to add anything, Jimmy? No, no, keep going. I think, um, you know, that, uh, to follow on from that whole thing of social media, we've talked about it repeatedly, and I know it's you're probably sick of hearing it, but it's, it's so important, is remembering that we can't just be a keyboard, what did you call it, Jimmy? Keyboard, keyboard warrior. warrior. Yeah. And just post our opinion. There are real people on the other end watching and reading it, and, and just posting our opinion without building real relationships mm. is, is not having that effect. So be willing to build relationships based on trust over time. I think for Christians in our culture today, the street teaching the script the street preaching mentality mm. isn't going to work very effectively mm. there will be times when there'll, there'll be people who listen to this go well i went out on the street and i preached on a soapbox and people got mm. saved and yeah there are exceptions to mm. the rule but generally speaking in our society the way it is wide in this season when this is being recorded in 2019 i think that it potentially mm. undermines moral authority rather than increases it now i Maybe that day will change. And mm. th- in the days of the riding evangelists, mm. you know, riding a horse like the Wesleys mm. or standing in a soap- soapbox corner and preaching may, may work, but that's not mm. the season we're in. And we're trying to give old answers yep. to new problems. And, mm. and I think so I would say that today the world is looking for, mm. uh, particularly younger generation, they're looking for connection, community, yeah. belonging, mm. belief in them. Mm. And so that has to be mm. uh, our priority. Spe- uh, mm. Focus not ne- necessarily on speaking the truth immediately. Mm. Um, you need to undo a lot of the damage that's mm. been done by well-meaning Christians who've yep. not been wise. Yep. And so that will take time. Mm. And that's okay. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And I think that soapbox street evangelism type stuff, from that perspective, I th- it's just not... As we've said, it's just not something that will engage anyone really in this culture at the moment. But I know of people that actually do some really good street um, mission and evangelism where they actually go on the streets and actually go up and speak to people and and, and try and build a relationship. And then, you know, if they do get into a conversation at the end, they'll actually say, can I pray for you? And and just the... The fact that more people are so willing to say yes to that because they haven't just come up and said, blah, 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 blah you need to be prayed for. Yeah. They've actually come out and just said, Heard you know, the story. Had, they've actually just engaged with them. And then if they say no, say, that's cool. Like I'll be praying for you and thank you for, you know, willing to have a conversation with you about it and just appreciated that time. And I think that's where it's such a, a basis for all the things we've talked about, how to actually effectively communicate um, the love of God to people has been around relationships yes. mm-hmm. uh, that you have to be, there to build a relationship first uh, and then through that is already communicating the love of God. Uh, if you get to actually express any of your Christian faith to them, might not happen in that first instance. It might not happen in the second or third instance. But the more that you build into the, that relationship and want to actually have a genuine care for that person will then give you the opportunity to eventually share. Mm. 
and then that's it's building moral authority. It's, isn't it's it? building that, yeah, because it, yeah. We, there, there's that we don't have that um, a moral authority anymore where you can stand on a street corner and preach. Yeah. It's now where the most effective way to then communicate the the gospel is to live it out and to actually go and share knowing that you're you're going there as the gospel you're going out to to live it out to people so the whole way you're living your life the whole way you can interacting with people is a gospel way you're living the good news to people and the whole time you're with them you might not mention jesus you might not um you know, mention God, you might not mention the Holy Spirit, you might not even find an opportunity to really go, I'm going to, can I pray for you? But that's okay, because they're going to see something in you to though, to the point where if you really build that relationship, they'll want to know about why you do the things you yeah. do. If you, if you do it effectively and in a great way, it, there will become an opportunity. You're not a failure if you in the first time they don't yeah. become a Christian. Yes. You know, and that's not the whole point. The whole point is to, whole to share to the it. good news, yep, to share the love of God. And you aren't the person that does the the changing of the heart. You're not the person Come that on. does all this. It is Jesus. It's that's the right. you know, the Holy Spirit will do the work in that person. You've just got to get let them see what a healthy representation of a Christian is. And then if if that's something they feel as though that prompting in their heart that they want to get, then they will speak to you about it because they go, Why where have I felt this before? Oh, yeah, it's when I was, you know, having chats with Adam over a beer around a fire and just the way that he was, you know, chatting with me and speaking into my life, there was just something in that. I wonder what it is that was that like that. And then when they go, why is that, so Adam, that you were doing that? And then you're like, man, because I, like God loves me so much and I love God and I just want to share that with people yeah. in the way. And so I'll, I want to know about you. I want to love you mm. um, regardless of who you are. Mm. I just want to love you. And then, you know, if you then want to love me in return and know more about me, great. Mm. Like, but if not... That's still fine also because I just want to love you. Yeah. And then good, I think yeah. that that's, that's, that's so what it's good, about. Eh? Yeah. Great thoughts. And like even just, <laughs> I'm going to come back to the Sermon on the Mount because mm. it's the thing I'm in at the moment. But when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, mm. a peacemaker is not someone who just lets everything slide. Mm. A peacemaker actively goes into a combat mm. and starts a fight. Mm. But they do it with the view of a greater peace. So they see that there's an issue. They see that there is a there's a hole in uh, in someone's life, and they actively go into that place mm. in order to bring them to a peace that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm. And I'm gonna I'm just gonna challenge our guys that are listening right now. Five friends on your on your um, messenger in Facebook. Just text them right now and say, "How can I pray for you?" Great thought. Simple. I did that this week with some people that I've, I have already been praying for. I said, how, how can I pray for you? And they all shot me back, mm. you know. They're not Simple. Christians. But, like, how many people do you, th- do you know? Will, will, if you say, you know, how can I pray for you? They'll say, oh, no, I'm, I'm all right, mate. Like, mm. they probably won't. There's probably some deep need in their life yeah. that they need some yeah. prayer for. Mm. And who knows, God might just do a miracle mm. and that might be the thing that leads them to the cross, to repentance and into the kingdom of heaven. Because when we think about, Pastor Rowan has been talking about it, about, you know, it's our job to bring the kingdom 
from um, heaven to earth and Jesus is called the Prince of Peace and his kingdom is a, is a place of peace and it's our job to to go out there and to to enter that conflict and, and bring people into peace love it it's good thoughts yeah I think the soapbox preaching thing is that you know back to the social media aspect I love what you're saying there because what you're saying Adam is is sending a private message to someone in love and and in respect and in relationship you're in relationship with rather than just putting it out there because i think a lot of times the the keyboard warriors that post moral stuff post post even truth um those i wonder if those people would i wonder if they would be the same people that would think that it was perfectly okay to stand on a soapbox in the middle of a street i hazard a guess that most of them wouldn't dream of doing that because they'd be aware that that's they're going to get stuff thrown at them but I, I wonder if the protection mentality behind the keyboard prevents them from doing that. Rather yeah. than... Re- the anonymity, yes, yeah. that's right. Rather than recognising it's actually the same thing and it's going to have the same results. So I love that personal interaction and concern and love. And Jesus got engaged in people's lives and mm. sat with people and talked with people and had conversations. The woman at the well, he wasn't shouting at her, telling her, mm. you know, how to live. He just had a conversation and, mm. and found out a bit about the journey and found out what was going on in that person's life. And I think once we do that, that opens up opportunities for com- to, to to share God's love. Yeah, I'm just going to read to you guys from Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. The purpose of a man's heart is like a deep water and a man of understanding will draw it out. So it's a, a scripture that I learned back when I was studying um, pastoral care and counselling. And I don't know if you've been to a psychologist before to talk about issues, but mm. man, like I've... That when I when I went to a psychologist, I spent more time talking than listening. Like he mm. would sit there and he would listen and listen and listen, um, and he would ask questions mm. and he would draw me into a, a state where all of a sudden I'm answering my own questions. They're coming out from in within me. They're mm. like a deep water. Yeah. And that mm. man of understanding is going down and drawing, drawing these things out. out of us. Mm. And that's what we're called to. We're called to listen to a person's story and to find how the gospel meets that story how it meets that need and oftentimes those aha moments that Mm. oprah loves to talk about we we get those aha moments and they and we counsel ourselves because someone has been willing and loving enough to listen yeah definitely i'm thinking about this will probably, I guarantee this will be the last time you'll hear me say this in this season. Mm. Can't guarantee it'll be the last time I'll say it uh, at all, ever. Mm. But we've talked about those three levels of communication. Let's reiterate them again, mm. just so that they sink into our minds. Level one is speaking truth mm. and uh, what we perceive to be truth. And lots of Christians will do that. They will mm. speak truth. I think most Christians, not all, but most Christians, if you ask them what was your motive for speaking the truth, they will say, I was speaking the truth in love, which mm. is the... Uh, which is what the Apostle Paul says to do. Instead, speaking the truth in love, he says. So so most Christians will say they're speaking the truth in love, but it's this third gap that I keep referring to, we've re- referred to multiple times in this series. The question is not just, am I speaking the truth in love? It's, am I being perceived in love? Am I doing everything I can so the person perceives my message in love? It was, it was interesting that we posted our Israel Folau a podcast uh, which we'd recorded some weeks ago <laughs> and we posted it the very same week that there was another controversy around Israel and so you, if you guys were wondering why we w- didn't address that that was because we'd already recorded the podcast but yeah. there's another controversy around the recent bushfires and and uh, Izzy deciding that to to proclaim that uh, they were 
related to the judgment of God. And I would say the same thing I said then. I, is Izzy speaking in love? I think he would believe he is. Uh, but it's not having that effect. Now, I unequivocally disagree with his theology, mm. but that's, that's my choice. Um, but even if I did agree with his theology, I still would say, hey, Izzy, you, what you've said has not been perceived in love. Mm. especially when it's uh, re- being recorded in, the, in any context outside of your church service and being mm. put out there in the public domain mm. when you're already being scrutinized, I think you have to, um, you, you've not been wise. And so I would encourage us to recognize, we've said this before, that, that there are certain filters mm. that uh, our, our society has imposed upon the church. Mm. And a lot of that has to do with our own mess-ups. Words like homophobic, words like pedophilic, words like judgmental, words like money hungry, all of these things. Now, a lot of them, we can, we can complain about those words as though we, they're not our fault. But the fact is, I think a lot of those things are, are being perceived because of mistakes that Christian church has made. Mm. And so what we need to be asking ourselves, is, we need to be aware, I suppose, that, that before we even get to the point where we can share we share truth in a way that it's going to be heard, we've got to drop it through a whole lot of filters. Yeah. And unless we can get through those filters, we're just adding to the noise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're adding to the rhetoric. And yep. so speak yeah. the truth in a way as best as we can that is perceived mm-hmm. by as many as possible in love. And that will require a lot of genuine interest in people's lives, a genuine hearing of their story. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your story. Even yeah. if you disagree, recognize that people have come to those perspectives because they have experiences and showing an interest and entering into those that journey and their experiences will eventually seep through those filters that are in the way and over time i believe you can get to that point with your friends with with your work colleagues with your family members where you can speak the truth and get it through just remember that people don't really remember what you say they always remember how you make them feel though yes and that and that's if you think about that you know how is this person feeling as i'm speaking to them like man that's that's a really good place to start yep Yep. for sure pastor rowan so we've talked about individual christians Mm. what about churches how how Mm. should churches be approaching this Mm. do you think well, actually, before Rowan answers, because I think that Rowan's probably going to really round off this topic a little bit with this question as well. So I'll jump in first and just sort of go. So from a perspective of someone who has been in leadership, but not necessarily uh, senior leadership over over a whole congregation, um, but then as well as being someone who's just sat in a chair for a while as well, um, is that uh, understanding that that people want direction from their church and from their leaders, but at the same time, they don't want to be necessarily told what to think. So finding that balance, yes. I don't know how you yes. do it, but that, that, that is there. Um, but then also the understanding from, from those who are in leadership in the church that not everyone who's sitting in, in like in your church or in the, in the, in the seats necessarily agree with 100% what it is that the church's beliefs are and they can be wrestling with a lot of the topics there might even be people in leadership that don't that are wrestling with a lot of the lot of the topics that the church stands firm on um, and that's something that I think needs to be aware because I think churches sometimes get found out when something suddenly blows up because someone inside their church says something that is against potentially against what the church has stood for and at 
no one sort of knew because no one really explored it or maybe they sort of knew but then didn't really push them on it or really have that conversation with them about it. So though those are some things but also um, to really encourage people and I know that this is something that in, in our church that we've done is encourage people that are wrestling with these with topics that to continue to do that and do that in a healthy way but then also to check in on how they're going about where they where they're going with that wrestling um, because I think a lot of the times is that we encourage people again and we've talked about a few times is that a lot of these topics have a lot of gray and we need to make sure that we're pushing people to be really wrestling in these things and we understand that people fall one side or the other um, we want to push them to make sure that they have an understanding of why they've fallen in a particular topic where they've they're like the outcome they've come to uh, and not be and then really have a discussion about okay well is this place where you are now really in line with where our church is at can that be reconciled together have like be willing to have those hard questions yeah um, because in hard conversations I should say um, because I think a lot of the time churches love to avoid on, avoid conflict uh, until it blows up and yeah. then they're forced into conflict yeah. and then by that time it's probably a bit too late and churches split um, I know that I've had that experience in the past where when I was still in youth group it sort of happened I didn't even realize it happened where you know half the church left all around a topic because they didn't there were people in leadership that they didn't really question or talk about properly with their ideas on certain theological issues and then it created a split in the church because it sort of all come to a head and people got up and said you don't support me this is what i believe blah blah and then some people are like oh this is happening this is happening and then everyone's just sort of gone okay and then so was that because there wasn't a culture where healthy conversation could take place earlier on in that process. Yeah, I think that it was one of those things where I think people either didn't really think about having that discussion about that topic or when they were talking about particular topics, they didn't really think about that there might be people in the room that don't agree with right. what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. And so that all it's done is just then... Cr- then reinforce that perception that I'm not being heard, I'm not being listened to, yes. I'm not even being appreciated, the fact that I think differently. And then it became to a point where suddenly it became a topic a, a, more than just inside the congregation Australia-wide and then they're sort of just going, okay, this is my chance to really stand up and tell them that they've just really wronged me. And then suddenly everyone's just going like, oh, and then then there's just been this big division and people like, oh, I don't agree with this stance now. And even though that... It was all a bit, if if they really were in a place where they were actually being sensitive about those things and talked through those sure. things, that that might have still had the same outcome, but it might not have. It might not have. It and might it might have, have saved a lot of heartache yes. and a lot of families splitting or yeah. friendships, the families that have had for tens of years, yeah. just sort of um, weakening because of the split that, was, that it created. I love what you're saying there because... The issue is always, as we've said, it's around conversation and mm. our society is forcing us to polarise mm. and it's it's pushing us away from conversation. Mm. And I think that does infiltrate the church. And so when I hear that, I think I understand why, yeah. as, a, as a senior leader in a church, I understand why everything inside me wants to stay away from what would be considered 
more difficult social issues hmm. uh, because I don't want the conflict. Um, but I, th- I do believe that it, there is a way to engage in these complex issues and still adv- and still be aware that we're not telling people what to do. So let's before we talk about specifically within the church's settings, you know, we've talked about this before that, you know, uh, uh, in the earlier episodes, right back at the beginning of this season, I said, you know, when it comes to organizations representing Christians, uh, you know, be mindful of calling yourself a Christian organization or be mindful of assuming that you speak for everybody. And, and it concerns me when I see organizations taking stances on things as if to say, well, this is the way everybody believes. You can like it or lump it. There's no conversation taking place. Mm. And so in the church, that's an issue too. So I would say, first thing I'd say when it comes to the question, which is how should individual churches approach this? I, I think it has. there's no one size fits all for that. Mm. I, I don't think it's my place to impose my perspective and tell any other denomination or any other church how or what they should believe mm. i think we exist within a, within a movement uh, at c3 where uh, we are autonomous churches that agree to certain uh, abide by certain standards and so uh, we we place ourselves through relationship into our movement it's the way it works in our movement and uh, so we, we there are certain theological uh, understandings and underpinnings that we we hold to and we do that willfully and and willingly because we're part of our movement but what i love about our movement in particular is that there is still scope for people there's a, la- a large area of scope for people in, ch- in churches I, I i know churches that are in our movement that would take a different stance than we have would probably be more right wing than we are in uh, we're quite moderate i think in in our particular stance and we can still relate to those so every church every movement has to figure that out for themselves figure out how do we balance the two so for for, for us some years ago when the uh, the same-sex marriage uh debate was taking place and the vote was taking place I, I made a choice and i know that some other c3 pastors did too not everybody and there were people who were saying we shouldn't touch it you shouldn't bring politics into the pulpit and all that but we we made a decision to to address the issue and the reason jimmy that i, I made the issue was actually uh, that's what prompted me was when you were sharing I, and I'm guessing that was probably the similar sort of situation you were talking about LGBT or whatever. But but um, the reason that prompted me to to do that series was actually some people in our church who said we want to know what we want some input into this. Yeah. This is a, this is a moral conversation. We want some input. We're hearing the voice everywhere. We'd like to hear what you think. So so I remember sitting uh, sitting. I went away for uh, to do a series of sermons. But I remember cr- taking time to craft that message and the letter that went out with that message. I reckon it took me the better part of a day where I sat and up uh, was after doing the research and I sat and looked at it and what I wanted to do was say this is what I believe this is what our movement believes but we're not telling you what you need to believe. We we came at it from the perspective of not dictating mm. which, and I I remember saying things like I will be voting against the policy mm. but I'm aware that there are people in the room who may abstain or, or whatever the case might be mm. and I'm not telling you what you have to believe I'm just going to say this is why I believe it and and I think that I had a number of people say to me, we appreciated the way you did that um, because I wasn't telling people what to do. Mm. And, and this whole thing of grace and truth mm. is nearly always messy. Yeah. So in, in church life, it's going to be messy. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And uh, some churches will err more on the grace, some will err more on the truth. Um, but even if you look at Jesus' ministry, it was that way for him too. Sometimes he seems to be hyper-grace. Sometimes he seems to be hyper-truth. It, it, in the moderate is more about as a law of averages. Sometimes you'll be one way, sometimes you'll be the other. Um, in our church, I think if we had to have a preference here at C3, 
Camden and Picton, our preference would be if we're going to have to err one side or other, we'll err on the side of grace. Now, I, I don't expect that for everybody else, but that's where we, we sit. We will err on the side of grace um, with regards to hoping that if we can love people and accept people, and show and extend grace towards people that in time as they build relationship with us and they get to know us and believe that that we care about them and we represent Christ as best mm. as we can mm. that Jesus will bring about the change through his spirit mm-hmm. that needs to happen mm. in their world yeah. it's something that our society is clearly saying they haven't been feeling from the church yeah. so i think that's why we need to go mm. the other way now mm. i don't think as much as it's good to have fancy lights and have have a contemporary model in church and have good preaching and teaching and, and relevant music. And I, I'm all for cultural relevance. But I don't think that that alone, uh, in terms of cultural relevance in church services, is probably going to be the thing that's going to reach most people in today's world. There's been a place for it. it had It's had its time and it was important, I think, uh, this, the whole seeker-sensitive yeah. movement. It, it, it came about because people were trying to do church that was 50 years out of date with the society around it. But I don't think... It, if, if we stick to that, thinking that's the, that's the winning factor, I think we'll probably end up 20, 30 years behind as well. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the things we can take away from our culture today is there's so much entertainment that people don't need to be entertained by a service on a Sunday. Mm. And the reason that people keep turning up is because they want to belong somewhere. Yeah. Um, we, we have heaps of people that are coming to our church that aren't, aren't necessarily professing Christians yet, but they belong here and they love it here yep. and they keep turning up because they've found friendship, they've found relationship. Yeah. Yep. And I know that the more that they spend time in this house, um, in the presence of God, because we know that God inhabits the presence, the praises of his people. So as we praise, God will be here and they will be transformed. Yes. They have to be, yeah. Yeah. you know, because God's grace just mm. is always knocking at the door of our hearts. Yeah. So I, and just to touch on what Pastor Rowan was talking about, like here in, in C3 Picton Camden, we talk about sin. We talk about the cross and, and our need for the for yeah, it's right. It's not that we're trying to whitewash that. No, no, no we're not dumbing down the the truth of the gospel, mm. um, but mm. we are just making we, we we preach with our Bible firm in our hands, but mm. our arms wide open, Great ready thought. to yep. embrace whoever would come. Yeah. You know, there's a guy that walks around this place. Um, he has a he has a mental illness, and we often see him like talking to himself. And there's been a few times that me and one of my friends have been trying to race up to him and trying to grab him to talk to him, just to just to to engage and, mm. and make that first connection. Mm. Hasn't happened yet, so let's mm. pray for that guy. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's great. Yeah. So yeah, and like in the point that I sort of said before, we're called to be bringers of the good news. We're not bringing condemnation against people. Yeah. We're not here to point out how wrong that people live we're here to to bring the love of god and then you know bring you into an opportunity to interact with god who then will shine light onto part of your life that you might be struggling with or that things that you might have to change but that's not for us to do or say uh, and it'll be different for every single person but we're here just to be to to be the carriers of the of, of the good news of the of the gospel of jesus that uh that he loves us and and we're called as Christians to to bring that to people and that like and we've talked about in the, in our last series talking about bringing the king, kingdom of heaven to earth uh, and that's about the people really bringing that love of God and bringing the gospel to people 
and in such a loving way that people want to know and be a part of that and explore that. And it's not for us to go out there and be trying to change people. It's about be bringing Jesus to people. Mm. Sort of thing, yeah, sort it's of great. Mm. Yeah. I think, uh, I think there'll be less emphasis on Christianity uh, meeting our needs. I think moving forward, I think people will start to realize that that, that materialistic worldview is that's infiltrated the church isn't healthy. I think people will be starting to look for community. They'll be starting to look for purpose. They'll be starting to look for a church that is committed to society, is committed to bringing heaven to earth. And I mm. think, you know, we've seen the rise of social justice, not just in church movements, which it has been throughout history, but mm. our society is starting to recognize yeah. the importance for social justice. So I, I think that uh, as as we as Christians engage in those kind of things, doing life alongside each other, adding value to other people's lives, that's the sort of thing that will ultimately reach people. Um, and there, coupled with that, there needs to be a focus on training and discipling people how to do the Christian life in a post-Christian world. Yeah. Mm. I think that's probably going to have to come into it. I, I think that if we don't train people, I think many Christians will still think that trying to change people's morality is the best course of action. Mm. Um, when in fact introducing them to community mm. yeah. is the best course of action. Yep. Letting them know that once they're introduced to community, Christ can work on their morality. Yeah, that's right. Ultimately, that is the, the stance of let's change the morality of society. I don't think I see that working very effectively. Mm. So if we haven't been trained in how to disciple and grow spiritually, and we haven't trained people how to do this, then what will happen is there'll be two results that'll come out, one of two results that'll come out of it. If we're just still sending Christians out into the workplace, into the marketplace with this mentality of preach against moral issues that are wrong with the world. What's, let's point out what's wrong with the society. The first thing is rather than influence the world for Christ, they'll be influenced by the world. Yep. So they won't know how to stand up and live as an exile in Babylon. Mm. They'll, um, they'll either go, well, it's, it's all too hard to live the Christian life, so I'll just give in. So that's the first thing, influenced by the world, or they'll be increasingly separated from the world and lose touch with the very people they're tr called to reach. So mm -hmm. I think that uh, helping people think mm -hmm. cleverly, intelligently about how they can how they can live a Christian worldview in a non-Christian society is, is very important. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we can assume that all Christians, especially younger Christians, will have the same moral view as us. We've, we've seen this in church ministry. Mm -hmm. Younger Christians... As, as a Christian that was saved, you know, in, when I was 17, as a person who was saved when I was 17, I've grown up largely with a Christian worldview. Uh, but we have Christian fam Christians in our church, Christian kids in our church who are, are raised and they, they ha they're being bombarded by a different worldview. And so uh, as pastors and leaders and youth leaders, we just can't assume that they have the same worldview as us anymore. Uh, issues that we take for granted, they don't take for granted. So we need to teach people simple stuff, like Christian living stuff, like how do you walk in the spirit? How do you do life together? How do you read your Bible? So that they know what a Christian's supposed to be like mm. rather th and how they're supposed to act rather than just thinking that the old ways have always worked. Yeah. Mm. If we don't teach our people this, I think we're doing them a disservice and ultimately the kingdom of God a disservice. Mm. But as for over churches in general, I think this is something that pastoral teams need to wrestle with. Mm. As you head into 2020... I would encourage you to be thinking this through. What what are we? What are our stances on all the moral issues, the big issues? Uh, you might have a stance on LGBT. You might have a stance on on abortion. You might have a stance on stance on euthanasia. And you think, well, that's it. I've got all those. But in the previous episode, we told you that we showed you that there are a lot of other issues that are big moral issues. And uh, just because you have a, 
<laughs> just because you might have a conservative approach to those issues, you may actually find that the other areas of conservative politics are actually opposed to some other areas of uh, of morality that Christ, where where Christ would lean further to the left than mm. to the right. Mm. So think that through a bit. Mm. Yeah, mm. as churches. Mm. All right, I think that's going to bring this podcast to a wrap. Um, but I think we, you can understand that our heart for all of the people that are listening is to firstly think, think, mm. think, use absolutely. your brain, use yes. engage, think long and hard about all of these things, mm. go to the word, mm. spend time with Christ, Yes. And ask questions of other people, yeah, yeah, let his heart become your heart, and, and just remembering that our, our, our job is not to change people's behavior, but to introduce them to our Savior. Yes, so good. Because He changes everything. Yes, He's so the good. game changer. Yeah. So guys, please like, subscribe, get a bucket of popcorn for next episode because it goes for ages. <laughs> <laughs> but it it's is a great full discussion. of grace and truth and gold and love. And you can really hear Christ's heart through what people are saying. Guys, thanks for joining us. Thanks so See much, guys. Time. See you yeah. next time. See ya.